It's a good night. It's an awesome night. You see, we have this God who is so deep. So big. So kind. So merciful. And you know what? It's not because of anything we've done. It's just because of who He is. And tonight, I want to finish up the Eternal Life series that we started six, seven weeks ago in anchoring it in, in His unconditional love. So, unconditional love we've, is part of eternal life. You know, we've talked before about God's character is love. He is love. The scripture says God is love. And out of that heart of love comes everything he pours out on us. And, we're, it, and our experience of what he pours out is only limited by our understanding. But he's always working to expand our understanding. And that's why I think eternity is going to be so awesome because it's going to be this constant unveiling of more. More and more and more. And so we've been talking about John 17, 3 as the anchor for this series. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And we've talked about that word know, which, you know is about this intimacy. And in the mirror it says this, this life of the ages invites them to engage in the inexhaustible adventure of knowing you. I mean, if you would have asked us five years ago, would, did we think we would be on this adventure called grace, we would have said no. We would have thought we knew all we're going to know pretty much. But there's this adventure. And I think that's a cool word. And the question is, do you dare take the adventure? You see, because if perfect love casts out all fear, the adventure should be cool. It should be wonderful. It should be joyful. And not only that, but it's an adventure of knowing you, the only true God and Jesus as the Christ whom you have commissioned. And I love this word inexhaustible to learn, to know, to perceive, to understand in the present active subjective form. Meaning keep on, should keep on knowing. We should be constantly keeping on knowing. There should be constant revelation that comes to our consciousness from God. It's already in our spirit, but it's working its way into our consciousness. Ever unfolding and inexhaustible. What does that tell you about God? No end. He never gets tired of us. He doesn't tire of us. We tire of ourselves sometimes. But God doesn't tire of us. And so this, this present active subjective form is something that we can keep in our mindset, in the forefront of our mind, that God is constantly unveiling and revealing himself. He's constantly releasing an awareness of his presence, 
He's constantly releasing an awareness of his grace. He's constantly releasing an awareness of that perfect love that is him. And sometimes we get so busy, we, we don't stop to let him unfold it. We blow past it sometimes. You know, Dr. Keithley was talking about the other day, for those who've been watching Dr. Keithley, he carries something in his pocket so that every time he touches it, it draws him out of the moment into the now with Jesus. He's trained him, he's training himself so that whenever he touches it, he stops and pauses for just a second about Jesus. And I think that's pretty cool. And so I've started doing that. Um, and I started with something that I have temporarily in this place. So I have number two, which is this, you know, it's just this thing. It's, it's heavy enough that when it sits in my pocket, I know it's there. When I touch it, I know it's there. And actually, this one I kind of like better because it's a bottle opener and it can pop the cork of his love all the time. So you know, I encourage you to find something that is a, you know, that will break through in your day. You know, you know, ladies don't always carry things in their pockets. You know, it's more of a guy thing. But ladies, you have other things you carry, you know, necklaces and things, bracelets. You can figure out something that, that as you touch it or sense it, it will remind you of this inexhaustible adventure of knowing him. And with an inexhaustible adventure comes an anticipation. What's he going to show me today? What's he going to show me tomorrow? Tomorrow's got to be better than today because he's always un unfolding more of himself. And so I build this excitement and expectation because of him. Rather than being pushed down by the law, by legalism, into being afraid to even move, I can go forward into the day, into the midst of the community, in the midst of the culture, and bam, he can break in at any moment. He did that yesterday with me. Carol and I went to Beggar Dave's yesterday. We had one of those Applebee moments with the waitress. I didn't even give Carol a heads up, but the minute the minute she said hello, God started talking to me. And so when we got done eating, you know, I asked her for a couple minutes of her time, and and I said to her, do you, you know, can I, do you have a moment? I said, God's been talking to me about you, and I'd like to share it. She goes, what? I said, God's been talking to me about you. Can I share it? What? I mean, it took her it took her three or four times to fathom what I was saying, and she said, okay, go ahead. And I shared it, and she was like, wow. I mean, at the end, she said, we made her day. Because what God has spoken was very specific. And it's because we have trained ourselves to expect him to do that. He has permission to break in whenever he wants. Because he's God. And it's part of the adventure when he reveals himself. And so there's a joy in that revelation. There's a joy... In, in knowing that he loves everyone we encounter as much as he loves us. So why would we not think that he's going to speak to others through us? Because he wants to bring them on the journey. If God shows up with the audible voice of the Lord with someone who hasn't heard that voice, some of them are going to freak out. But if he shows up in the love through another person, he catches their attention. It's the kindness of God that leads them back to him. So we are his commissioned ones and we are working out of this unconditional love eternal life originates in and with god you know look at john three sixteen. for god so loved could god do anything but love the world 
No. Can he do anything but love the people that he's created? No, because that's who he is. He so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Look at this word loved. We've talked about it as the word agape before, but this is the word agapeo, which is a derivative of agape, but it's of persons to welcome, to entertain, to be fond of, to love dearly. God wants to entertain us. God wants, you know, he wants to invite us into the living room and share a cup of tea with us or a cup of coffee or a soda, a Coke, I don't know, whatever. But whatever we sit down to drink, he wants to be there. He wants to welcome us. But again, it requires us to develop a conscious awareness that he wants to, an expectation that he wants to. Wouldn't it be nice to go home tonight and every night after work and go, or after we get done with a busy day and go, hey, it's coffee time with dad. Or it's fun time with dad. He wants to play board games with us. I mean, he likes to show up for board game parties, you know? And he loves us so dearly, he's fond of us. I, I had a hard time with that concept that God was fond of me. I wasn't fond of me, so why would God be fond of me? It's only been in the last few years that, it, that it's becoming more real to me. And I think as it becomes more real to me, you can ask my wife, I think I'm relaxing more. I'm not as uptight as I once was. Still have a ways to go, but I'm not I'm not the way I was. And in the, out of the mirror, John three sixteen out of the mirror, the entire cosmos is the object of God's affection, and He is not about to abandon His creation. The gift of His Son is for humanity to realize their origin in Him, who mirrors their authentic birth, begotten not of the flesh but of the Father. In this persuasion, the life of the ages echoes within the individual and announces that the days of regret and sense of lostness are over. That's what his unconditional love does for us. It gives us a peace in our heart that the days of regret and sense of lostness are over. We shouldn't be looking back and going, oh, I would have, should have, could have anymore. I wish I'd have done it differently. Because if we were created for such a time as this, then we've done it exactly the way he wanted us to do it. Every mistake that we, we have learned from was part of his plan for us to get to today. And some of it has been painful. Don't get me wrong. Physically painful, emotionally painful, in the natural Lots of regrets. And if you read my blog that I put out, I talk about the last five or six weeks. Oh my gosh. It's like, it's like society has slipped a major cog off the wheel of life. And like, let me grab it. When you have a chance to read this, I, I call it the tragedy of our times. It's like a Greek play, the tragedy of our times. And, and I talk about the fact that... You as I pondered the last five or six weeks leading up to the election and after the election, I've, I've, I've thought about the social and spiritual implications of this election. And I don't think there's ever been an election in my lifetime that has been more polarized, more divided. And the fallout of it, it's devastating in its, in its consequences, I've said to the social fabric of our culture, 
And because of the stark realization that our culture has fallen spiritually so far, we have fallen far. Now, having listened to Greg teach about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life, we understand how the culture is getting where it's getting because we're looking for answers in the mind of men. Rather than come to the to the one who was persuasion of the of life of the ages and echoes, we are looking to men, and this triggers a regret and sense of lostness because when we don't see things happening the way we think they should happen based upon what we have decided is right and wrong, we get frustrated. I mean, when you look at all the things that have been going on, you, you know, how many of you remember the book 1984? Did you ever study it? Okay, you'll get this. The art of slander, name-calling, and Orwellian doublespeak have reached a new pitch. Civility and respect are no longer common, but instead the exception. People no longer disagree or agree to disagree. Rather, if you do not agree with certain viewpoints, you're likely to be called a racist, a bigot, a xenophobe, a fascist, or some other derogatory name. Most of the time, such terms are cast about without any basis in fact, and in part because the ability to converse in an intellectual fashion has given away to the emotionalism and I am right, you are wrong attitude. All of these things are playing out in the backdrop of Christmas. So it's even more magnified right now. An event that has its own meaning lost in the cultural calamity of the now. So we have this, this shift in, in culture about what Christmas is, is about. And at the same time, we have literally people, I mean, this is, this is so crazy. We have law students going to safe spaces to play with Play-Doh because of the election. There is a university law school that, that the, the students were so traumatized they created a safe space and invited them to come in and gave them Play-Doh to play with to help calm their emotions. Do you think that's from the heart of God? That's from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And, and we have, there are women out there who feel so, I don't know what I'm saying, so subject, subjugated by Trump's election, they went out and they cut their hair to give them a sense of power for the moment. And there's another group of women who have stopped having sex because to have sex is to have hope, and they don't have any hope. They feel hopeless because of Trump's election. These are all things that are going out there. I mean, you, I, every day I read something like this. And it's like, wow. Really? But it comes from eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And, and I thought about this a lot as I was writing this. You can have 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 people in a room. You're going to get 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 definitions of good and 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 definitions of evil. Because that's what happens when men set themselves up to be the arbitrator of good and evil. You can't get a consensus. And that's what's going on in our country right now. And on top of that, the believers have played into that. Because there was some really nasty Facebook posts by believers this last election cycle. And so I take them to task too. Not from a ungraceful, but from a hey, have you lost your love and compassion and mercy? Because you see, if we're on this journey, that inexhaustible adventure of knowing God, 
then we should be displaying love as well. We should be sharing grace and mercy and loving kindness, not taking someone who in the natural we think would be either a good president or a bad president. I mean, frankly, how many, I mean, the reality is neither one of them met the standards that we were used to until this election in terms of character and morality and all of that. But the reality also is God had a plan in the midst of it. And, we, and, and some believers lost sight of that plan. So coming back here, I wanted to, to take a look at this word abandoned for a moment. If you look at the word abandoned, it also suggests a sense of uselessness that which comes to ruin and amounts to nothing. So coming back to the mirror here, and he is not about to abandon us. He's not about to render us useless. He's not about to render us a nothing. He will never do that to us. He will always, always, always out of his love, cheer us on, give us a purpose, give us a sense of identity because we're created in his image and likeness. And if you look at the word gift, the word gift to give, in this case, to give something to someone that already belongs to them, thus to return. See, it's not that we're suddenly discovered. It's we've never been undiscovered or lost to him, but we have wandered in our mind because of Adam away, but because of Jesus, we are returning. We're returning to the inexhaustible love to the inexhaustible journey. The fact that they already are his own, born from above, they have their beginning and their being in him. And it is now confirmed in their realizing it. What is this whole journey about? Realizing what he's done and who we are in the midst of what he's done. He is the only begotten But you know what? We're sitting with him right now. We're so intertwined with his heart that there's no distinguish between him and us. Going back to the third one, and who mirrors their authentic birth. I love that word authentic. The authentic begotten only by the Father and not of the flesh. In him we recognize our true beginning as in the authentic original mold. I say in my blog that the only the only hope for our culture is to put our stability in him. There's a picture of the stable and it says the only stable aspect for our environment is Jesus Christ for our world. We need the stability of Christ as opposed to the instability of the tree of the knowledge in good and evil and a hundred plus million people's version of what that is. And then he talks about the ages of the echoes in the mirror here. And it says the word echoes is to hold or embrace as in an echo. You know, when you sit on a mountain and you speak and it echoes, it comes right back at you. You speak and it comes back. You speak and it comes back. And it's like you get enveloped in it. That's what he's talking about here. The word echoes is to hold or embrace. He echoes his thoughts into us and we reflect them back like a mirror into others. I just think that's so cool. 
And then John 15, 9 says, As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. Well, you know, some of us have, we struggle with, we struggle to understand and know this love. Rather than just receive it, we try to analyze it. It's something you have to experience. It's not something you can mentally define. But we can look to Jesus because as the Father has loved me, Jesus, I also have loved you, meaning us, abide in my love. So that poses the question, how has the Father loved Jesus? Now stop and think about it for a moment. How has the Father loved Jesus? Did he love him conditionally or unconditionally? Did he love him with the fullness of his heart or with a part of his heart? Did he love him with an everlasting love or a temporary love? So why would we expect the Father would love us any less? Because Jesus just says, I love them the same as you've loved me, Father. John 17, 26, And I have declared to them your name and will declare it that the love with, with which you loved me may be in them may be in them and I in them. So he's saying the same love that God the Father has for Jesus the Son, Jesus the Son has for us and he's in us, constantly releasing that love. As we experience an an awareness of this constant flow of love, we should have less and less down days and more and more upbeat days. Circumstances will try to bring us down. But in the midst of that circumstance, if we touch that little reminder, oh, wait a minute, I'm loved. Even in the midst of the moment, I am loved. I thought about setting my iPhone to about every 90 minutes to give me a bell. And I thought that would be a little awkward in court. (laughs) So... It's easier to get away with the object in the pocket than it is the iPhone going ding. But the word love here in that verse is the word agape, which is that affection, goodwill, love, benevolence. God the Father loves Jesus with affection, with goodwill, with benevolence, with kindness, with mercy, and he loves us the same. There is no distinction between the love of Jesus and the love of us by the Father. And when we meld that together, I am loved the same as Jesus. I can go, because I don't have to earn it. I don't have to prove it. Anybody been in a relationship where they go, prove you love me? Or if you love me, you would just know what to do. Dad knows how to love us. (laughs) And he never changes. And this is a quote from... um, an encyclopedia that's a couple slides long. And I just want to, first in the consideration of the subject of love comes the love of God. He who is love and from whom all love is derived. The love of God is that part of his nature, indeed his whole nature for God is love, which leads him to express himself in terms of endearment toward his creatures and actively to manifest that interest and affection in acts of loving care and self-sacrifice in behalf of the objects of his love. Are you an object of his love? He will therefore show, show terms of endearment towards you, my darling, my loved one, my beloved, Third John 2, beloved, which leads to, to the terms of endearment towards us 
and actively to manifest that interest and affection in acts of loving care. What's an act of loving care? Providing for our needs. Whispering in our ear, I love you. You're awesome. You're the best of the best. You're my favorite. Those are, those are activities that manifest his interest in love. You see, if God sits there with his back to you and is, and is like mumbling under his breath, he's denying his character. So whenever we sense that he's a million miles away, the disconnect is not him. It's me. It's us. And all we have to do is, he loves me. My dad loves me. And even in five or ten seconds, that, in, that sense of disconnect can go away. As long as I know this is true. As long as I believe it to be true. And as, and as he does this, he even, you know, we've talked about agape love is self-sacrificial. It's not about him benefiting himself. It's about him pulling, taking a hold of us and bringing us up to the greatest potential in his heart for us at his expense. I mean, there's no greater expense than what? Lay, lay your life down for another. And who did that? Did he, did, he, did he stop and take score of who he was dying for? Did he, did he check it? You know, is it like Santa's list? Did he check those who were good and those who were bad? Did he check it twice? I don't think so. Because you know why? He loved us all. And it's an ever-unfolding love. It's an ever-unfolding benefit of the self-sacrifice of Jesus to the object of his love, which is all of mankind. So why would we then excoriate those who disagree with us about something? Like we've seen over the last few months. I mean, even now, even as of today, there are people just reaming on both sides of the political aisle. They're just teeing off on each other. And it's got to stop. And you know how it stops? We break the cycle because we eat out of the tree of life. And so when they come to us and go, who'd you vote for? It doesn't matter because my God's got a plan. Mm-hmm. Who, well, don't you care who's president? I do care because it's God's plan to give me good and perfect gifts. And it doesn't matter who sits in the White House. God's got them. Because he has a plan that he's working for all of humanity, for the glory of the kingdom for all of humanity. So I don't care who's sitting in the White House. I really don't. Now, in the natural, it's going to be a tough four years because it wouldn't have mattered who was sitting there. Because I don't see this rhetoric taming soon unless we tame it with our tongue of kindness, our tongues of love and joy. And we can do that. You know, y'all are about to experience relatives for the holidays, right? Do you know at Thanksgiving there were people who had fights at the dinner table? They walked out because of the election? That's just wrong. That should not happen. We should be able to speak a word of kindness and diffuse a situation. So look for opportunities this season to do that. And here's the second part of that, that article or that section of that encyclopedia. God is love just as truly as he is light, truth, and spirit. Spirit and light are expressions of his essential nature. Love is the expression of his personality corresponding to his nature. 
God not merely loves, but is love. And it is his very nature. And he imparts this nature to be the sphere in which his children dwell. We dwell in his sphere of love. And when we sense something is out of kilt in our life, it's because we've stepped out of the sphere of love. And we've probably taken a bite out of the tree of good and evil, out of the fruit of that. So whenever you start sensing something is just not quite right, out of sync, go back to the sphere of love. Ah, Dad, you love me. Thanks for the peace I can find in the sphere of love. It's good, Lord. It's good. He that abideth in love abideth in God, and God abideth in him. But it's a mental, conscious mindset. We can be oblivious to God if we want to be. But you know what? He's going to keep trying to break through. So we might as well stop trying to be oblivious and start receiving the benefit of his love. Christianity is the only religion that sets forth the supreme being as love. You will not find any other religion where the supreme being, the God of that religion, expresses love. It's usually about what can you do for me now? I demand of you. Don't look behind the curtain. Do what I tell you to do. This is from the International Standard Bible Encyclopedia, those last three slides. Unconditionally. Either we believe God loves us unconditionally or we don't. It's really hard to be in the middle. Because if you don't believe he loves you unconditionally, you default to conditional love. There really is no between space. What is unconditionally? Not subject to any conditions. Synonyms. Wholehearted, unqualified, unreserved, unlimited, unrestricted, unmitigated, unquestioning, complete, total, entire, full, absolute, out and out, unequivocal. I love the, the yellow ones are my favorite ones. I love the fact that God is out and out unequivocal about me and you. He doesn't shake, shimmy, rock or roll about us. He's like, I love you. I love you. I even love the bishop. You see, there's no, there's no degree. It's all or nothing with him. And it's frankly, it's all because it's always on. It's not about nothing. It's all with him. God extends love to us. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. See, we read John 3.16, but we don't generally read John 3.17 with it. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. That condemnation comes out of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God didn't send his son to live out of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He sent his son to live out of the tree of life and share love. So, if someone starts putting condemnation on you, what did I tell you last week? Talk to the hand. Receive my love. Right? I'm not taking condemnation. From the mirror, God has no intention to condemn anyone. He sent his son not to be the judge, but to be the savior of the world. Isn't it nice to know that if I mess up or you mess up, the judge isn't there saying guilty? I just think that's so cool, 
So powerful. Ephesians 2, 4. But God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. He approaches us with his mercy because of his love that he loves us with. Ephesians 3, 17 and 19. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you being rooted, you know, going back to faith. You know, the word is just trust. He, he dwells in your heart because of your trust. That you may be rooted and grounded in love to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Grounded in love. If we don't do anything other than that here at Living Grace, then we've done a really awesome thing. If we ground people in the fact that they are loved by God, then all things become possible. Because then the, that love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge or passes knowledge, can be activated and moving and healing and delivering and life empowering for each person. And John 4, or 1 John 4, 16, 17, and 18, and we have known God and believed the love that God has for us. How many believe the love that God has for you? It's foundational. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in him and God in him. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. You, tie, you can't be as him in this world unless you're tied into love. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. There are times when we're going to sense fear, but we come back to, oh, my dad loves me. That love is complete. That love takes over the place of fear. He's got a plan for you to meet your needs. He says so, so we don't have to be afraid. This is the last slide. It's a little bit hard. But it's actually, if you at the top of it, which I cut off, it's actually the true meaning of Christmas. But I felt it fit here. You know, the true meaning of Christmas, to God the Father, it meant giving his Son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. To God the Son, it meant leaving heaven's glory to become a servant, obedient unto death. Let, us mind, let, let this mind be in you, which is also in Jesus Christ, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, a death that we participated in. It is finished. To the world it means that God has provided a Savior. All we the sheep, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Isaiah 53, 6. That's, that's an old covenant, what happened in the old covenant. They all went their own way. I mean, there was only little remnants here and there that God would, would raise up. But today... There's one mass of humanity of remnant of, because we're all the remnant. Everybody's the remnant because it is finished. The question is, do we believe? 
To you it means that God offers you eternal life as a gift, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal through eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And, but as many as received him, to, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Willard, Willard Aldrich. I thought, you, I thought you would catch that. You see, unconditional love, eternal life is, is rooted in, grounded in, walked out in and through unconditional love. You are the loved of God. He never, ever, ever will turn his back on you. And I don't care how hard today has been or tomorrow will be or how easy the next day will be. His love doesn't waver in the midst of changing circumstances in the natural. You, you are loved. I encourage you in the next few weeks to take the opportunities to speak life and love. That's what he's calling us to do. It's a season. What perfect, what perfect time to reach out than the season of Christmas when it's just, it's so rough out there. But you all are, are carriers of life. You are all carriers of love. Go and touch somebody. Amen? Amen. All right, Father, we thank you for your unconditional love. As we begin to meditate in a greater dimension on this unconditional love, Lord, you unpack more and more and more of your heart. So, Lord, remind us throughout the day, each day, to pause. Thank you for your love to just let that love wash over us because it's like a, it's like this refreshing stream from the it is from the throne of God that just washes it's never ending it's refreshing be blessed and know the manifestation of those blessings amen, amen. all right cool we're done <laughs>